Now I'm going to try to be Pastor Evan and not use a pulpit today. So we'll see how that goes. If I freeze in mid-sentence, you guys know what happened. I need... I might need a stool. I need you to sit down on a stool. Well, if you do have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to open it this morning with me to the book of Jude. Excuse me, Jude in the New Testament. Second to last book in the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there's, there's one in the pew, actually, that you can have as our gift to you this morning. It's black and in the back of the pew rack there. If you don't know where Jude is, flip all the way to the end of your Bible, find the book of Revelation, and then turn left one book, and you're going to find the little letter of Jude. Only one chapter and not one that we often hear from in churches, um, at least that I've been a part of. But God laid this text on my heart to encourage us all um, in the faith. And let me just say also while you're turning there, it's been such a joy and a privilege to serve you these last five years again. Um, Julie and I have been honored to be here, to be with you, to see how God has changed this congregation to reflect the community, to reach out to those who are needy, in our community and around the world. It's just been such a blessing to be with you all. So we pray that God will speak to us through his word like he has time and time before um, through his word and as he will continue to today. So if you have this, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. But I will read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 for context this morning. So the word of the Lord says through Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we give you this time. Lord, let these words be your words and not mine. God, as we think about consistent faith, Father, allow us all to be convicted this morning of how you are calling us as believers to live. Father, I give you this time. I pray for hearts to be changed this morning, God, for your glory. And it's in Christ's name. Amen. I love Chick-fil-A. I don't know, that might be a surprise to some of you, but if you've been around me for some time and we've met somewhere, more than likely, probably 90% of the time, it has been at Chick-fil-A. And I really do love it, not because it's just really good chicken biscuits, mainly chicken biscuits for breakfast, because that's what's best there, um, but also for who they are. They're very consistent. I don't know if you guys have ever walked into a Chick-fil-A outside of this area, maybe out west where I grew up or walk into a Chick-fil-A out there, you see that it's pretty much the same as walking into a Chick-fil-A in Fairburn. They're consistent across the board. They're consistent in their hospitality and their customer service and the quality of their food. They're just a consistent company. They hold true to a set of principles that allow them to love their community and love their neighbors and see their community transformed. And I think that they do that very well. And those those are biblical principles operated through a biblical company like Chick-fil-A. And that's, that's attractive to me as a customer because they are so consistent. Well, I'm not very consistent, and I'm sure all of us would probably agree that we're inconsistent at various times in our life. It's, it's hard to be consistent. It's hard to remain the same when you're facing pressures from an outside world, a world that is not respecting God and not respecting his word. So it's hard to be consistent, especially as us as believers this morning 
It's hard to remain consistent in our faith. So we have to look outside of ourselves to see consistency that is transcendent. And that we have to look to God through his word. We see that God is consistent. He remains the same. He doesn't change. So we look outside of our inconsistencies to one who is consistent and we base our lives off of him. So this morning, what I want us to do is to turn to this book of Jude, this little letter this morning, and look at the greeting. Now, this might not seem like a whole lot to this passage this morning, but it gives us an encouragement on how to be consistent in our faith. Jude, as we'll talk about here in a minute who he was, but he's writing to this, this group of believers, Jews and Gentiles, who are really facing a hard time. The early church was a very difficult place to, to raise up young believers. It was very hostile. They were persecuted daily. Their families were ripped apart. People were killed for their faith. And Jude is writing this letter to a group of believers here that have had false teachers come in, teachers who pervert the grace of God once for all delivered to the saints. That's what it said in verses 3 and 4. So Jude is reminding these early believers and then us today how to be consistent in our faith. And he's giving us an encouragement in that by taking us through this greeting here. So as we walk through this passage this morning, what I want to do is ask three different questions, really simple questions. First, who am I? Secondly, how am I different? And thirdly, how am I to live? So as the Holy Spirit speaks through you, you can take notes there in, in the blanks provided in your bulletin as well. So let's, let's jump in here and see who am I. And we're going to start here with the second part of verse 1. It says this, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Here, Jude is taking us to our identity. Our identity is not found in the world. It is not found in things inside of us, but it's found in Jesus Christ. And he is reminding these early believers of who they are in Jesus Christ. He's not taking them to look within themselves, but he's taking them to look at who they are in Jesus Christ, which is a, a reminder that we all need on a daily basis to remember who we are in Jesus rather than who the world is trying to identify ourselves as. So he noticed he calls for three things here. He says that they are called, they're beloved in God the Father, and they are kept for Jesus Christ. I just want to peel those back a little bit and look at them. They are called. This is who he is addressing. He's addressing a group of believers in this early church. So this, this sermon this morning is mainly for believers. This is an encouragement to us to live out our faith. So they are called. They're called. They're set apart for a specific purpose, a specific plan for their lives. God has grafted them into his family. He's set them apart before the foundations of the world to a specific purpose, to serve and love him through all of who they are. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 tells us that they are to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. So their whole being is to worship God, to love God first. That is the calling placed upon all believers, is first to love God with all of who you are, your finances, your household, your job, your family members, all of who you are, your surroundings. That is supposed to be worshiping God with all of who you are. So that's the calling placed on our lives as believers. So God has called us. He's not called us to just sit around, especially as Christians in the church today, just sit around and not do anything. But he's placed a specific calling on each and every one of our lives to serve in the church, the bride of Christ, to build up the kingdom of God, to go and make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them about who Jesus is. This is the calling placed on all of our lives. 
The Holy Spirit has given each and every one of us a gift, and maybe more than one gift, and you are supposed to use that within the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ because that is the higher calling that we are called to as believers. This is a calling that's much different than the world gives us. It's a calling that is supernatural. It's placed upon our lives, and God's setting us apart for his service and for his kingdom. So we're called, but we're also loved. Your version might say beloved, it might say loved in God the Father. And this is simply Jude reminding these believers that they are loved of God. Again, they're going through persecution that is hard for us to even imagine. They're facing death. They're facing being burned at the stake, being thrown to lions. This was very commonplace back in the early days of our faith. Their families were being ripped apart. They were being taken away as slaves. And here, Jude is reminding these early believers, and us today as well, that they are loved in God the Father, that God loved them so much that he sent himself the second person of the Trinity, to come and to dwell with us, take on flesh and dwell with us. He gave up himself so that we might know the love of God. Now, this is probably a very abstract thought to these early believers, because if they're reading the Old Testament, you don't really see God as Father. But through Jesus Christ, we see that God is calling on us as his followers to call God our Heavenly Father. We're supposed to call him our Heavenly Father. He is not only God, the the Lord of all creation, the King of kings, but he is our father. And he is a good father to his children. He takes care of his children. He, He realizes their needs and he provides much more abundantly than they could ever even imagine. That is the love of God on our lives. And he's encouraging these early believers as well as us today to know that we are loved in God, our father that we can come to him with our burdens and the struggles that we are going through in our lives. He cares for us. Now, some of us in this room might have a a strained relationship with our fathers, or we did have a strained relationship with our fathers. Maybe you don't have a relationship with your father at all. But this is where God comes in, and and he shows us that he is the good, the true, the perfect father that these earthly fathers, like even myself, cannot be. God comes in, and he shows us his love towards us, in dying for our sins on the cross. That's what Romans 5, 8 tells us, that Christ died for our sins because he loves us. So we're called, we're loved, but notice also that we're kept for Jesus Christ. Again, these early believers are going through so many hard times and difficulties in their lives. They're facing separation and persecution on a daily basis. And to know that Jude is writing to them and encouraging them by saying that they are kept in Jesus Christ, and they're kept for Jesus Christ, that this suffering, this persecution, this hardship that they are facing is not in vain, but God, by his grace, is carrying them through that so that one day they will see their Savior and their Redeemer face to face. So know today that whatever you are going through in your life, it could be a diagnosis from the doctor, it could be a tough work situation, a financial situation, might be wayward kids or grandkids. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but God is keeping you through that. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you as a believer, and he is literally carrying you through that situation in your life until you see Jesus face to face. To know that we cannot lose our salvation is another great encouragement. There's some denominations that teach that you can lose your salvation. Well, this church does not teach that. And I'm glad because the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that Jesus alone 
provide salvation for us. If Jesus is the only one providing salvation for us, then I can't screw that up because I didn't earn my own salvation. And he saved us while we were still sinners, Romans 5.8 tells us. So if Jesus is the one doing the saving, he's given us his Holy Spirit to give us life as we journey through this world until we reach the deathbed time and we go into eternity. God is keeping us so that we can one day see Jesus face to face. So we cannot be separated from the love of God. We are being kept for Christ Jesus. So no matter what you're going through this morning, know that you're being kept for Christ Jesus. And the suffering and the trials that you are going through are not in vain, and they develop perseverance. And perseverance then develops hope, as James tells us. So that is our identity. That's our identity. We're called, we're beloved, and we are kept for Jesus Christ. So that's, that's who we are. Well, let's look now, how are we different or how am I different? And we're going to go to the beginning of verse 1 here and just this little introduction that Jude gives to himself. It doesn't seem like a whole lot, but I think that Jude has a point into what he's saying here. Notice what it says. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Again, very kind of inconspicuous there, not really sure a whole lot about what he's saying, but to these early believers, I think this says something very important, and I think it says something very important today for us as well. And I just want to notice one thing, and that is humility. We're different from the world because of our humility. And that is what Jude pulls out in this first sentence, the first phrase in this sentence. Jude does not describe who he is as a place of elevation above other believers. Now, he easily could have, because we see here in the second part of this verse, he says that he's the brother of James. Well, James, if you've studied your Bible much at all, you know that he is an apostle. He's the leader of the church in Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension. So in the book of Acts, we see James as a leader in the early church. But James, in his book and also in the, in the book of Galatians, he says that he's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So James does have some power and authority in the early church. And by extension, if Jude is the brother of James, then he also is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. But notice that he doesn't start out his passage or his, his letter to these early Christians by, by his clout, by his pride, by his arrogance, does he? No. He says that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Literally, he is lowering himself here. The word in the Greek literally means a slave. And often in Paul's, letter, he, Paul's letters, he does use the word slave, or as it's translated in, into the English. But here Jude is reminding us and these early believers that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. He is literally taking the form of a servant. That's what Jesus calls of himself in Philippians chapter 2. He takes the very form of the servant and lowers himself. By coming to earth, he lowers himself in order to serve us by dying on the cross for our sins and uniting us back with our heavenly Father. So Jude, in his life, is not elevating himself. He's not seeking out authority in the early church. He's merely saying that he is nothing more than a servant of Jesus Christ. He is a sinner saved by God's grace. He is nothing more than that. That is his identity. That is who he is. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. Yes, he does allude to his authority in the church by relating himself to James, because there does have to be some authority when a letter is circulated throughout the New Testament. 
We see this. We see when Paul is writing these letters, he's authenticating these. So Jude here is authenticating his relationship with James, but he doesn't elevate himself on a level of pride and of arrogance and of clout in the early church, which he easily could have done. I think that really shows his, his, the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I think this, this draws to us this morning something very practical about our humility within the church. And there's a lot of this going around, especially if you turn on the TV or if you're watching stuff on YouTube, pastors and things like that. There's a lot of elevation of these men set apart in leadership positions in churches. And I think it's ungodly. A lot of it is very ungodly because we're elevating them as if they're somehow closer to Jesus than we are and they're somehow more perfect in Jesus than we are. But in reality, they're sinners saved by God's grace just like we are. There's, there's no difference between me and them or you and them. There's really not. So we should not be elevating these men of God. Yes, they are to be revered and admired, but we should realize that we're sinners too. I know I am. I, if you guys have been around me, I'm a sinner just like everybody else, right? I'm not, I'm not elevating myself, hopefully, above anybody else. Hopefully, I'm lowering myself um, beside you this morning. But James here is, or excuse me, Jude here this morning is encouraging us to be believers who are identifying ourselves in humility. So we need to look for that in leadership. We need to look for leaders who are humble, not seeking to elevate themselves, but looking for those who are come alongside and serve you, serve you in your time of need. And then in turn, you seeing this service by those who are in leadership positions in the church, encourage you to serve for you guys to come alongside people who are broken, who are suffering, who are marginalized in our communities and serve them. I think our food pantry does a great job at this by coming alongside. I know that Miss Joe spends time on Thursday afternoons over here in the basement of the Rock Building, the office building, praying with people who come through the food pantry. What a great way to serve people. That's just an opportunity for you maybe to join her to see what other opportunities there are in serving those in humility, those who are marginalized in our society, those who are going through hard times in our society and humbly serving them. So let us be marked by humility and service to Jesus Christ. So as we look to our identity, notice again that we're called, loved, and kept in God the Father, but we're completely different from the world because we are marked by humility and again, all of this cannot be accomplished by ourselves. We can't remember who we are in Jesus Christ by ourselves. We cannot be naturally humble people by ourselves. Romans chapter 7 tells us that we, we desire these things, we want to do these things, but the flesh fights against that. So what we're trying to do here is not going to work out very well. We can't be genuinely humble towards other people. We cannot genuinely love and serve them without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we have to have that inworking of the Holy Spirit for us to be faithful and for us to follow Christ obediently as he is calling us to do, as he's encouraging us to do in this passage this morning. So as we look further, let's notice here how we are to live, how we are to live. And I think this is, this is where it really gets practical for us this morning um, I think this is a very practical passage anyway, but Jude here is praying in verse 2 how they are to live. 
that mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Your version might say, be an abundance, be an overflow out of the work of the Holy Spirit that is already taking place in your life. Again, these, these things cannot be accomplished without God transforming you. You cannot be a merciful person to someone else if God has not transformed your life by his mercy. You cannot be a peaceful person in your life if you have not experienced the presence of the Prince of Peace in your life. And you cannot be a loving person until you have understood the love of God in your life. All of these things the world likes to, to respond to, right? If you're watching a pageant, you know, it's notorious for Miss America. I don't even know. I don't even watch these things. But they want world peace, right? They want love. They want, they want mercy to be given to those who are less fortunate. But again, those things are very selfish selfish when you get down to it. The, the truth of mercy, peace, and love can only come through the inworking of the Holy Spirit. So let's break these down and see how we can apply these to our lives, just as Jude is encouraging these believers in the early church to. Notice first that he says that mercy be multiplied to you. So being consistently merciful in your life. Mercy is very closely related to grace. Sometimes those things are often confused. And if you're new to church, I'm sorry, I'll say this, for all the churchy words that are used sometimes. I probably have said some in my sermon this morning. And sometimes we don't understand what they mean. But grace is simply a gift, something that you do not deserve. That's what grace means. Mercy is not receiving the just punishment that you deserve for a disobedient action or something that like the law is broken, you plead for mercy before the judge. So, so mercy is not getting the just punishment that you deserve. Well, God in his grace has surely done that to all of us in this room. We have not gotten what we deserve. We have all been disobedient. We have all rejected God. We have, we have made ourselves God of our own lives. We don't wanna listen to the God of the Bible. So we've rejected God, but God in his mercy has not given us the just punishment we deserve, which would be automatic death. That's what it should have been. In, in the garden, that's what, Jesus, that's what God tells Adam and Eve, that because of this sin, death has come into the world. So death could, could strike us, and that would be God's just punishment on our sins. But what has he given us all in this room? He's given us the breath of life this morning. He's woken us up for another day. That is God's mercy upon us, especially those outside of Christ. I feel like I'm going to cough. <coughs> One time I coughed into this thing and I woke like half of everybody up in here. So I'm not going to do that again. So God's mercy upon our lives is something that we should not take for granted because it is something that has been graciously bestowed upon us. So then in turn, what should we be like? So we should, should we be people who are automatically trying to get justice at every wrong turn against us? Remember who Jude is writing to here. These believers are struggling, struggling in situations far worse than any of our lives. They're facing death on a daily basis. They're facing famine and disease and persecution on every level. And here Jude is telling them to be merciful, merciful to all these people that have treated them unjustly, who've done wrong against them. How are they supposed to be merciful? There's only one way. And that's through the inworking of the Holy Spirit, that they would go out and show mercy to all these people who have wronged them. So that is what our lives are to be. We are to be men and women and young people that 
our lives are demonstrating God's mercy. We're demonstrating mercy to those people who have wronged us. It's very easy to just jump at people who have done something wrong or spoken ill of us. We're so, we're so easy and quick to respond and get that justice. You might even pray, oh God, let me be the, the person that executes judgment on them, right? You know, that's what we want. That's what we want to do. We want justice. But if we have faith in God, we know that one day the just judge will come and he will judge perfectly every single wrong that has been done against you and done against people in this world. All of the injustices that we see happening in this world right now will be taken care of at the end of time. There's no, there is an end coming where injustice will stop. And ultimately, we see it in the cross because all of the injustices that we have done against others has already been paid for in Jesus Christ. He, he paid for that on the cross. So we then should be people of mercy. Those who are less fortunate, those who are suffering, those are, who are undergoing persecution, what should we as the church do? We should come alongside of them, encourage them, show mercy to them, support them. We should be the people of mercy, not letting the world define what mercy is and do it. We should be the ones stepping in and being people of mercy and not letting the world define that. So we are to be, firstly, a people of mercy, consistently a people of mercy. And, and this goes for all of them. If we struggle with any of these, let's pray for them. Let's pray for mercy in our lives. Let's pray for peace in our lives. Let's pray that we would be a loving, consistent follower of Christ. Let's secondly notice here that he calls them to be a people of peace, a people of peace. And I believe that he's drawing here on the Hebrew idea of shalom. Maybe you guys have heard that word before. It's a, it's a Hebrew word simply meaning rest. A lot of um, people in Israel nowadays greet each other by saying shalom. And that's, that's basically just meaning rest, at least as it's used in the Old Testament. And what this is meaning is that there's rest between holy God and sinful man. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they rejected God's plan for their lives and decided they had a better way to live, there was a great chasm that was created at that time, separating holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin and sinful man. And for millennia now, sinful man has tried to get back into that relationship that they once had with the God of the universe. And they've tried in every way possible. We've tried being really good people, but that failed. We tried following a set of rules and that failed miserably because we can't keep them perfectly. We've tried even being really religious, but that failed too. And God in his infinite wisdom and his providence knew how much we were gonna mess up his plan for our lives. But he didn't leave us there. In his mercy, he sent his son to step in to our lives. Not an abstract reality like other world religions teach. Jesus, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the God-man stepped into time and space to bridge that gap between holy God and sinful man. And there he took on flesh. Not, not something abstract. Again, he took on flesh just like you and I have. He became man and he lived a perfect life in full obedience to God. But he went to the cross willingly, giving up his life, again, taking the very form of a servant, laying down his life and allowing God 
to crush him on the cross, to pour out the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins to be poured out on him on the cross. And if that doesn't strike you, I don't know what will, that Christ Jesus has taken your penalties for your disobedience and paid for them fully, made a substitute, an atoning substitute for your sins. So that when we now turn and repent, that's just turning away from our sins and realizing that we're sinners, when we put our faith in Christ, our sins are paid for. We're given a new life. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and we're cloaked with God's righteousness. We're covered in it. Knowing that I'm not a perfect person at all, I need someone else's perfection so that I can have that peace with God. And only in Jesus Christ, He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Only through this way, the man Jesus Christ, can we have peace with God. And that's the foundation of all other world peace. It's Jesus Christ. It's not things conjured up in ourselves. It's not happy thoughts. It's not doing good humanitarian work. It's only in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we are at peace with Jesus Christ, then we are at peace with God. And that peace permeates our lives. It spreads out from us into a world that is dying, that in in very much need of true and lasting peace. It's peace that we have when we go to the doctor or we go to work and we're facing a situation that everybody else is going haywire over. But we have a peace, a peace that surpasses all understandings when we go to the doctor and they give us a diagnosis that we are very much afraid of. We have peace because our identity is not in things in this world. It's not in this failing human body, but it's in our eternal relationship with God and us being at peace with him. So we are to be people of peace. And this peace is to radiate out of our lives into a world that needs peace. So I have to ask the question, are we people of peace? If we were to ask our spouse, our kids, our grandkids, our friends, would they say that we are a people of peace? And that should really make us think. Again, if we are struggling with this, which I'll be the first one to admit, I struggle with peace. I do. I'm, I'm a worrier and anxious about a lot of things. But God asks us to pray for these things, that the Holy Spirit would make these evident. And we too, like Jude may say, may these things be multiplied to you. So pray for it if you don't have it. And I'll join you in that for myself. Let's notice here, lastly, that we are to be a people of love. Again, God has demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the gospel, that God loves us so much, he sent his son to live here amongst mankind to give us life. You and I were created for relationships. That's why You're sitting together in this room. No one's out in the parking lot or in other rooms listening to this. We were made for relationships because we were made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we are made in God's image. Well, if God has made us in his image and he's made us for relationship, then God must be in perfect relationship within himself. And that's what the Trinity is. The Trinity is perfect love and perfect relationship from eternity past and all the way until eternity present, never changing. So being created in the image of the invisible God in perfect union, we were designed for relationship. We can't find perfect relationships in this world. Friends are going to let you down. Family's going to let you down. 
People in your neighborhood are going to let you down. People at your work are going to let you down. The foundation of those relationships that you are ultimately created for is only found in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So if that's the relationship that we are trying to find, we find it here in this passage this morning that Jesus Christ has come and he has demonstrated his love towards us so that we might have that peace, that rest with God the Father. That is love. That is love. That is so different from what our world tells us love is. Love tells us it's how much money they have in the bank account or what they're wearing or maybe what hair they have or little hair they have, right? It might be, it might be something like lust. A lot of relationships now are based just simply off of lust or emotionalism. But those things are not true love. True love is found in submission and service to the other person. If we really tell somebody we love them, are you willing to go to the extents the Bible says is true love in making yourself a servant of that person? Now, this is difficult. This is very difficult, especially if you're married or have been married. This is a difficult thing. Or if you're raising kids or have raised kids, this is a difficult thing. To love someone enough to, to lower yourself as you submit to the Lord you're then lowering yourself to love this other person before the needs of yourself. I am, again, number one, not very good at this, okay? It's very difficult to lower yourself because we're very prideful people. We want to put ourselves above someone else. So we have to be right in the argument or we have to be right in this scenario or that circumstance. But again, what is God calling us to be? Remember these early Christians, what are they facing how, how are they going to love their enemies who are persecuting them, who are tearing their families apart, who are separating their fams, families for slavery? Well, Jude is praying that they would be loving towards those men and women who are tearing their families apart and even killing them. That's the evidence of the truth of Jesus Christ in their lives. And may it be true of us this morning that we would be men and women who are radically changed by Jesus Christ to love others in our lives and to love even our enemies above our own needs. This is a consistent faith. It's a hard faith to live out. It's actually impossible for us to live out. Again, the Holy Spirit has to be evident in your life for these things to overflow, that we would be consistent in mercy and peace and love, that we would be humble people, and that we first and foremost would find our identity in a called, loved and kept relationship with Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning that God has spoken to you and he's encouraged you this morning to live a consistent faith, not out of your own strength, because you'll end up in utter failure, but in the strength only given to you by relationship with our Holy Father.